Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We are excited and glad that you guys are here with us today. And uh, today's actually a special Sunday for us because it is what we call Vision Sunday. And uh, if you're new here or maybe you haven't been here for the last couple of Vision Sundays, let me just kind of explain to you what we do here on Vision Sunday. Uh, you see, every year um, we celebrate our church's anniversary um, on Anniversary Sunday like we did last week. In fact, last week, if you weren't here, uh, was our 78th year as a congregation. And our uh, Anniversary Sunday is a great time of year for us. Us to take some time to look back at the history of our church. And it's a great for, time for us to, to look back and reflect on where we have been. But Vision Sunday um, is where we take some time where we actually start looking ahead at, at where we're going. We talk about the future and we, we talk about the future vision of our church. You see, um, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, um, the church is not some organization. Okay? It's not some lifeless organization. It is a living, breathing organism. It's, it's an organism that's made up of individual people who follow Jesus. And the, and the church is God's chosen instrument uh, that he is using right here in the world around us uh, to, to shine the, the light of truth in the rest of the world. The church is the pillar of truth in the world. The church is the pillar of truth for our community. And as the world continues to change, as the world continues to deviate from truth, the church stands firm, unmovable, and unchanging, holding up the truth of God for the world to see. And that is what the church does right here in our community. And I believe with all my heart that this church will continue to do that for years to come. In fact, I believe very firmly that God has big plans for First Baptist Church. I believe that God has a vision for us as a local church community. And it's that vision that I just want to take a little bit of time this morning to, to talk to you about and remind you about where we are going. Now, there's something we really just need to come to grips with and understand. It, it, and, um, and what we need to understand is that our community and in our country, we don't suffer for the lack of churches, okay? The struggles that go on in the world around us are not because there aren't enough churches. The difficulties we face in our community, whether it's drug abuse or alcoholism or pornography or, or the lack of economic opportunity or divorce um, or family issues, whatever else, those are not due to a lack of physical churches in our community, as we've talked about before, here in Boron, with the size of population that we have, there are seven churches, seven different churches with, with different church buildings and different congregations and seven different pastors all leading those churches. All of this is right here in our community. And within really a half an hour's drive, there are probably 50 more churches with 50 different buildings and all these churches with a variety of backgrounds and worship modes and ministries and seating arrangements and styles of building. And the truth is, there's a truth for it. There's a church for, for everybody, okay? There are traditional churches. There are, you know, uh, contemporary churches. There are some liturgical churches and, and seeker-friendly churches. If, I mean, if someone wants to go to church, there is a church for you to go to. You see, it's not a lack of churches in our community or our country that's a problem, okay? There's always a place to go to church. If a person really wants to go to church, okay, so that's not the problem. The problem simply is, is that people don't want to go to church, and the reason why they don't want to go to church is because they don't see the church as relevant for their lives. They don't see the church as a source of hope and healing. People outside the church don't see the church as a place to come for when you're spiritually broken. They see it as a church that you go once you have your life all together. 
You see, the problem has been for decades that the church tends to be a place for church people. The church at large you know, seems to be focused on insiders. The church at large has become about what insiders want and what insiders of the church like instead of what outsiders of the church actually need. And that's why churches tend to get filled up with church people who speak a common church language and who follow man-made church traditions. And those churches tend to slowly die over time because as a church... They become more and more inwardly focused and they lose their drive to connect with and reach out to those outside of the church. You see, instead of becoming fishers of men, they become keepers of the aquarium. And, and, and I say that because a big part of the strategy at First Baptist Church over the last few years has been to reverse that trend. Okay, we are systematically trying to focus on things for outsiders. We're taking the focus off of what insiders want and we're shifting that over to what outsiders need. We work to focus on what people who are not in the church need from the church so they can experience the hope of Jesus Christ. And I, and I believe a big part, that's a big part of why we have such a vibrant church culture Okay, we are focused on helping the lost to see Jesus. Here at First Baptist Church, the word of God is proclaimed boldly and, and it is preached boldly. And, and, and God is openly worshiped in spirit and truth in our congregation. And we have seen many people's lives that are changing. Insiders are growing in their walk with God in new and exciting ways. Outsiders of the church are coming here and they immediately feel welcome here in our midst and they're quickly being integrated into our church family. And it's an exciting time for First Baptist Church. You, you see, you can see God is actually working here in this congregation. And as I said last year, I believe the best is still yet to come because I believe that God has bigger and more audacious plans for this church family uh, I believe that, that there's a lot that God wants to accomplish through First Baptist Church. And I certainly believe there's a lot that God wants to accomplish through each and every one of you individually. And so what I want to do today is I just want to, I just want to take some time and I want to reshare with you the vision that we have here at First Baptist Church. And what I believe that, that God is calling us to grow to be. And, and the first thing that we need to talk about when it comes to our vision is actually the mission of this church. The mission of the church is actually primary. The mission of the church is, is what we're setting out to accomplish, okay? The vision is actually the way that we get there. And so it's important for us to understand the vision. We first need to understand the mission of First Baptist Church. And the mission here at First Baptist Church is simply this, to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. Our mission is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers, and it's really important for us to understand what that means because it's easy to get sidetracked here. Our mission is not to feed hungry people. Our mission is not to clothe the naked. It is not to give kids fun things to do during the summer. Our mission is not to have the largest, fastest growing church in the community. Our mission is not to create Baptists. Our mission is not to create people who memorize whole portions of the Bible. Our mission is not to create people who have a perfect church attendance. Our mission is not any of those things. Now, all those things are good things. All those things are valuable things, but they are not the mission. They are byproducts of our mission. Our mission is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers, people who are in love with Jesus and actively following him where he leads. And in the process of following him and spending time with him in his word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers, they are growing up spiritually, becoming more mature believers, able to do the things that God is calling all of us to do. And so because of that, 
the mission to create spiritually maturing Christ followers, we as a church, we're going to do everything in our power to help people to have a relationship with Jesus and then help them to grow to maturity and to be more like him, which is exactly what we're called to do. We're called to be made in the image of Christ. And everything we do here at First Baptist Church is pointed at that. And, and the vision that we have helps us to do that. Our vision helps us to achieve the mission and the vision is this, that we are to be a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, uh, deeply connected to one another and completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. That is our vision, that we're passionately in pursuit of Jesus. We're pursuing Jesus with all of our hearts, soul, mind, strength, and everything that we have. We are completely sold out for Jesus. We are here to do what Christ wants us to do and, and to do the things that Christ asks us to do. And, and we are following him in word and deed, and we're continually moving closer and closer towards Jesus, becoming more and more like him. And then, we're, then we were deeply connected to one another. We bear one another's burdens. Okay, we lift each other up. We mourn when others mourn. We laugh when others laugh. We rejoice when others rejoice. We do it corporately as one big group and we also do it in our small individual, um, small groups. We're committed to the ideal of community because we all need each other. We are one body. What happens to you affects me. What happens to my family affects your family. We are deeply connected to one another. We are completely committed to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. We're completely committed to do that. Okay, which means we're willing to do the hard work. We're willing to get involved. It means that we, we adopt this attitude of send me, Lord. Being completely committed means we will press on even when the odds are overwhelming and, and we face gigantic obstacles like our culture and now it even seems our own government. In the face of these giants, we continue to press on because we're a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to bringing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we are First Baptist Church, the pillar of truth in the community of Boron. That is our mission and vision. That is where we are going. That is what we are aspiring to be. And that's also why we're in this series, Pillar of Truth. And so if you have a, a Bible with you or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, um, please turn with me to the book of Titus. And we're going to be in, in, in chapter number three. And again, we're, today we're in part three of this series titled Pillar of Truth. And the reason why we're in this series right now is because the, the church, as Paul describes it, is the pillar of truth in the world, okay? It is the hope of the world because the world, since embracing postmodern philosophy, has also embraced a false standard of truth based on relativism. It's the idea that truth isn't actually objective and real, that it's something that is fluid and relative based on a person's experience, based on a person's desires, based on a person's culture, and based on a person's opinion. The truth is what is true for me. Okay, the truth is, is, is true as long as I decide to accept it as true. And this right here, this philosophy is leading to a breakdown in our Western culture and, our, and civilization as a whole. And it's leading people wholesale to destruction in this life and also in the next. And the church founded by Jesus Christ himself on the word of God stands in sharp contrast to the rest of the world as the lone pillar that upholds the truth for the entire world to see. And as we have talked about, the church isn't some organization, 
okay? It's not a building. It's an organism. It's a living, breathing entity made up of living, breathing people who follow Jesus, okay? It's made up of spiritually maturing Christ followers, which means the church is you, okay? You and I are the church. You and I are that pillar of truth. You and I are the pillar of truth for the community of Boron. And because of that, how you and I live and how you and I behave is critically important. And that's why Paul wrote the letter that he did to uh, Timothy and Titus. He wrote three letters, essentially his last writings. And, And in those letters, he gives instructions to these two young pastors, again, Timothy and Titus, and their churches and how they're to live and behave as the church in this broken world because the body of Christ, the church, is the visible, the visible reflection of Christ in the world. And if the people are the church, that means they themselves are the reflection of Christ in the world. And if they're the reflection of Christ in the world, it means that when, Christ fo- when, when, when people see Christ's followers, they're seeing the image of Jesus. And this is enormously important because as members of the church, the pillar of truth we ought to live and act in a way that honors the image of Christ. And that right here, that's the central idea of this, this entire series. Okay, we as a church living up to the standard of being the pillar of truth in the world around us. And in the first week, we began talking about one of the, one of the first major important themes that runs through these letters. Um, uh, in fact, the first major theme that we talked about is doctrine. Now, uh, Paul talks a lot about doctrine in these, these three letters. And doctrine is not some just abstract word, and it's not a weird theological idea. Doctrine just simply means teaching. And what Paul is talking about is, is the teachings of the church. You see, the way that we learn about Christ and the way that we pass the truth from one person to the next and one from one generation to the next is through doctrine or through teachings. And Paul is telling these two pastors that they are to guard and protect and teach what is sound and what is true doctrine or teachings. They're to teach sound doctrine and they're confront and rebuke and correct anybody in the church who's teaching anything that's different or a false doctrine. Because as we discussed before, true doctrine actually leads to life and false doctrine leads to death. Because as we know, it's what you believe that saves you. It's not what you do. And so believing what is true And turning away from what is false is critically important and essential to our faith. And as a church, both corporately and also as individuals, we are all responsible to believe and teach and guard true, sound, life-giving doctrine or teachings. That's how we mature as a church and become healthy. That's how we become spiritually mature Christ followers. We study, we learn, we share the truth of God's word, and we tear down inside the church anything and everything that is untrue. That's what we talked about in week one. And then last week, we talked about the second major theme, which is the fruit of doctrine or, or the results of, of sound doctrine. And as we said, the fruit or the results of sound doctrine is life and freedom that leads to transformation, obedience, and right action. Because as we talked about, one thing always leads to the other. If you believe the true doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you place your trust in him, you are immediately justified in the eyes of God and you're saved from the penalty of your sin. And as a result, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, beginning to sanctify you. 
God the Holy Spirit goes to work inside of you, cleaning you up from the inside out, changing you, changing the way that you think, changing the way that you feel, convicting you of your, of your sin. God gets to work saving you from the power of sin so that you no longer are a slave to it. And the net result of that should be a life that is changing towards holiness and obedience to God. You see, you don't obey so you can be saved. We obey because we already are saved. And because we're saved, the Holy Spirit is remaking us into the image of Christ. And because of that, Paul encourages Titus and Timothy to teach sound doctrine that leads to life, which ultimately leads to right action. And he encourages them to invest in and raise up leaders in the church so that they can turn around and do the same thing. Now, with that foundation laid... um, I'd like for us to begin to kind of dive into these letters and look at practical, everyday applications uh, so we can take them and apply to our lives in order to become spiritually maturing Christ followers to help this church to be the pillar of truth that it needs to be in our community. Because the truth is this. Our community needs us. It needs us desperately. I mean, just take a look outside. There's brokenness at every turn. There is pain on every corner. Divorce, infidelity, drunkenness, addiction, gossip, slander, hatred, violence. It is all out there in this little tiny community. You have elementary school children already who are experimenting with drugs. You have elementary school children who on their smartphones have already been exposed to more pornography in sheer volume and variety than an entire lifetime of previous generations. Elementary school children. Not to mention you have elementary school age children who are already sexually active and who have already experienced sexual activity outside of normal heterosexual sex. And that's not even to touch on the problem of crime in our community. Thievery, violence, prostitution, rampant drug use, drug sales. All of which happens right here. And it's not just people that we don't know. These are not strangers to us. These are people that, that, that live on our streets, people we know. They're our friends, people we graduated with, right? These are people that are family members, people that we're related to. Take a hard look at this community, the brokenness. If you'll just process it mentally, all right? The brokenness is so heart-wrenching. I look in the eyes of children in this community who watch their parents get their fix on drugs right in front of them. I look in the eyes of children in this community who are witness to sex and violence on a regular basis. And many of these same children don't get to eat enough regularly. And they don't have access to new clothes to wear. I look, at, look in the eyes of children in this community who want so desperately to be loved. Yet they don't even know how to react when you reach out to love them. Because it's so foreign to them. And then we wonder why these kids won't behave themselves. Our community desperately needs the church. It desperately needs the truth. It desperately needs for us to spiritually grow up as individuals and come together as a church family, all aspiring to live out the image of Christ. It needs for us to come together in sound doctrine and right action. It needs for us to stand up in stark contrast to the broken world that's outside as a beacon of hope. Our community needs for us to be the church, the pillar of truth, an organism that is so unlike the world that people in the world have to sit up and take notice of that. That's what our community needs. Brothers and sisters, we are not there yet. We are not there yet. 
Yes, we have absolutely done a lot over the years to tear down the walls that keep people from coming here. We've done a lot to remove roadblocks and obstacles that cause outsiders to feel unwelcome here. And yes, we often repeat, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, you are welcome here. You're welcome in our community. You're welcome in our building. You're welcome in our lives because we're the loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we're First Baptist Church and you're welcome here. Yes, we say that and we've said it many, many, many times and we, we, we sincerely mean it. But let me just be very real. Though we are a welcoming church, we still have not torn down all the obstacles. There are still barriers that prevent many from seeing the church as a source of hope and the pillar of truth. And I think the biggest obstacle is that we are not yet standing in stark contrast to the rest of the world. Because the truth is, in many respects, we look just like the world. We do so individually. We do so corporately as a church body. There's still parts of our lives that look, like, look less than Jesus and more like the world that has bought into postmodern philosophy. And I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying this to tell you this to make you feel bad or guilty. I'm not saying this to create tension for my message so you'll listen to me. I'm saying this because I'm getting this from Scripture itself. I'm getting it from the Word of God. In fact, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And let me just show you exactly what I'm talking about. And what I want to do is, 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 is when we get to this text, I want to read this text. And then we'll go back through it and see what Paul's driving at and what it means for us as individuals and as a church family. And before we actually jump in here, let me just real quick just kind of share with you where we are. You see, in the previous chapter, chapter 2, Paul tells Titus, teach sound doctrine. And then he gives specific instructions for various groups of people in the church. Okay, he reminds Titus that Christ came to save us and to sanctify us, all right, and to get us ready to do good works for God. And Paul says, Teach these things. Encourage people to live them out and correct anybody who's not doing what the word of God says. Okay? And with that context, we roll right into chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Remind them, the people of the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, in this, uh, in this, this right here is eight verses. This is just eight verses in a short letter. But there is a world of theology, you know, and doctrine in this little bit of text. Paul squeezes in so much teaching and, and, and really 
and under a paragraph. And, and, and before we jump into the main discussion here, I just, I just want to point a couple of things out here. In this short text, Paul talks about the three members of the Trinity. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he talks about God the Father, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. Paul also affirms that Jesus is God, all right, and is divine by calling God the Father and Jesus. He calls them both our Savior, singular, in verses 4 and 6. Paul also talks about salvation by grace. Apart from works, he talks about justification. He talks about sanctification. He talks about glorification, all of which are the fullness of salvation as we talked about last week. And then he talks about how those who believe in God, you know, are to do good works. And he covers all of these major theological points in just eight short verses. In fact, you know, we could spend an entire sermon series on this little text alone, just discussing all the different doctrines and theology that Paul covers in this just a little bit of text. Now, I mention this uh, because true doctrine, especially essential to our faith, true doctrine is all over the New Testament and in the writings of Paul, okay? The doctrines that you need to believe, such as the authority of Scripture and the divinity of Christ and the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection and justification by faith and the substitutionary atonement of of Christ's work on the cross, all of these things and more are found throughout Scripture and are found all over the pages and the writings of Paul. And and I say this because true orthodox Doctrine, okay, true doctrine can always be traced back to the Word of God. And it's not ambiguous, all right? It's not hard to find. It's actually very clear. True, orthodox, life saving doctrine is found throughout Scripture and it's readily apparent in Scripture. Just such as justification by faith. Scripture tells us over and over and over again that we're saved by faith. Over and over again, we're told that Jesus is God. Over and over again, we are told that the word of God is true. Orthodox, essential to faith doctrine is found throughout Scripture and is found right there on the surface. It's, it's relatively easy to spot and it's easy enough to defend. And, and as a church, it is our job to read the Scriptures, learn that doctrine, teach it, and defend it. And then to correct anyone who is in error of that life-saving doctrine. And the way that you teach and defend doctrine is always to go right back to the word of God and what it clearly teaches. And these, in these eight verses, we see several of these foundational Christian, Christian teachings because Paul was always teaching and talking about sound doctrine. Now, to the point that's relevant for us in this discussion, this text, um, because my statement was... The church is not yet, okay? We are not yet the church or community needs to be. This community needs for us to be the pillar of truth in the world. And it needs for us to stand in stark contrast to the rest of the world. And I said, we're not there yet. And here's the reason why. Paul says, he says, remind them. Okay, now this is an important phrase because when he says remind them, what Paul is saying is that the people in the church should already know something. He didn't say teach them. He said remind them. There's something that they've already been taught. There's something that they are already supposed to know. There's something they're already supposed to follow. This is not a new teaching. So he says remind them. And he says remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and be ready for every good work. Okay? Paul says remind these people that they should already know that they need to be submissive to rulers and authorities and obedient to those in authority and be ready for every good work. You see, Paul makes it clear 
There's a general understanding that Christians are expected, expected, expected to be good citizens of the governments they belong to. They're expected to submit to the authorities that are over them and the governmental powers over them. They're expected to obey the law. Now, here's the thing. As Christians in America, I think there's something, this is something we struggle with. And it's not to say that that we're not generally law-abiding, okay? But let's just admit it to ourselves. We're a rebellious people, right? I mean, we don't want to be told what to do. We're not always willing to submit to authority. I mean, I know Christians who will get defensive and argue with a police officer who pulls them over and they'll try to justify why they're breaking the law rather than just simply submitting to the man's authority. I know many Christians who have done major construction projects on their homes without permits, okay, because they don't want the city or the county, you know, or the governmental authorities to have any say over their property taxes. They don't want to submit, I know many Christians who continually push the envelope when it comes to traffic laws and taxes, and in some cases, even criminal law. I know many Christians who lie to governmental agencies and law enforcement officers like it's a joke, all right? But here it is. We are all called to be obedient and submissive to the authority. This is expected of us as as Christians. Now, why is that? Well, we're expected to be obedient because the rest of the world is always looking for a way not to be submissive and obedient. The rest of the world is always looking for the loophole. The rest of the world is always looking to be above the law. Christians are called to obey because it's the right thing to do and it separates us from the rest of the world. It causes us to stand out in a good way, right? It causes us to shine in the darkness. Christ was submissive and obedient even to death. When we are submitting and obedient to those in authority, we are more like Christ and less like the word in the world. And this is important because who do we think we are looking down our noses at those who are breaking the law by stealing or doing drugs or doing things that, that, that are happening in our community when we ourselves are disobedient in the, to the law in our own way? When we ourselves refuse to submit to those in authority. Who do we think we are when we will condemn someone for their actions, but we'll give a free pass and defend even somebody else in our family who's doing the same kinds of things? Who do we think we are harboring hate and anger for those who break the law in a way that we find unacceptable, but we'll continue to break the law ourselves because we think it is acceptable? My friends, that's the very definition of hypocrisy. We're a bunch of hypocrites. We're just like the world. And so Paul reminds them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready to do every good work. And then he says, speak evil of no one. No one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. My friends, this right here, If this doesn't convict you, then you better check your pulse and make sure you're still alive, okay? And and certainly you better make sure that you're in the faith because because if you're a Christian, this should convict you because Christians absolutely are expected to speak evil of no one. And we're called to avoid quarreling with everybody and to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward not just some people, but all people. In fact, if... You're actually following Jesus. Okay. And I mean, if you, if you're, if, if, how, how about this? If you think that you're following Paul's teachings here in verse two, raise your hand. Okay. All right. Raise your hand if you speak evil of no one. 
Raise your hand if you avoid quarreling. Raise your hand if you were gentle and you show perfect courtesy to all people. Let me, let me just tell you, if you can't raise your hand, this scripture should be piercing your heart because you and I are absolutely expected to obey this. Why? Well, let me tell you why. You see, when we don't obey this, we're just like everybody else. Because the entire world talks trash about people. The entire world loves to mix it up and quarrel and fight over every little stupid thing. The entire world wants to assert itself and its rights rather than to be gentle. The whole world, instead of of being interested in putting others first, which is what courtesy means, it means to put others first. The whole world is interested in itself first instead of other people. If we're not doing these things, we're not, we're just, we're just like everybody else. We're just like the unbelievers around us. We're just like the criminals, but worse because we go around acting like we're not like them. And then we come to a building on Sunday morning. Friends, that's, that's hypocrisy. We're a bunch of hypocrites. We look like the world, except when we come together once a week and we just talk trash about people. Is there any wonder why so many around us don't see the church as a pillar of truth? Is there any wonder why that they don't see the church as a source of hope? We look like just the rest of the world. Again, they're thinking like, why should I follow Jesus? Why should I go to church? I mean, you talk trash about me breaking the law, but you break the law too, right? But then you have this cute little saying where you say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, right? How are we we going to be the pillar of the truth when, when we speak evil of other people? And make no mistake, every Christian, every Christian I know struggles with this on some level. How are we going to be the pillar of truth if we're continually caught up in quarrels? And and, and, and I know most of us do that. We get caught up in these things. Don't believe me? Just look at Facebook. Many professing Christians are still going out to social media and they're calling people out and getting into nasty confrontations with other people. And they're not being kind. You see it all the time. And what about being gentle and showing perfect courtesy to all people? How are we going to be the pillar of truth if we just simply refuse to see that every person, and I mean every person, is in fact God's creature and that they are in fact somebody that God loves and somebody that Christ died to save? But even among Christians, we still divide humanity up into these classes, people that we think are worthy of courtesy and people that who are unworthy of courtesy. And a great example of this is what happened in our community this week. On Monday, a man shows up in town, and he's obviously disturbed, okay? And he, and, he, and he really rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and he makes several inappropriate comments to a lot of people, including a teenage girl who's a student at the, at the high school. He goes out to the, the, the youth football practice and ends up really making a nuisance of himself and, and, and says some inappropriate things to a young girl and some other people. And so he gets escorted off of, of school property, and then he's eventually arrested, okay? And then they release him, right? And he leaves Boron in his RV and then he comes back in a different vehicle and he, you know, changes his facial hair color to, to black so he tries to look different, changes his hat, right? And, and I'm going to admit, okay, this guy was creepy, okay? There was something wrong, right? That's just the facts, okay? And I was there to help escort him off the school property because it's part of what I'm supposed to do. And I was there when he was arrested by the sheriff. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want him here. (laughs) I don't want him in our town. 
I don't want him around any of our kids. I don't want him around, you know, hanging around our schools, especially after I found out, you know, his background and what he was arrested for previously and what he actually did prison time for, okay? I think this guy really actually belongs in jail. But make no mistake about it. He is still a human human being. As creepy as he seems, he is still one of God's creatures. He is still someone who is broken and someone Jesus died to save. And even though I'm not about to have this guy over for dinner, okay? And even though that I'm, you know, I will ask him to leave the school grounds if he ever shows up there again. And even though I will immediately call the sheriff if I see him talking to a child, I have no right to be mean to him. I have no right as a follower of Christ to be rude or hateful or mean to this man. I'm called to show perfect courtesy to him. I'm called to be gentle toward him. Just like you are called. Why? Because everybody else isn't gentle and courteous to him. Everybody else is threatening to beat him up with baseball bats. Everybody else is threatening to drag him out into the desert and have him killed. Everybody else is calling for the community to come down and burn his RV to the ground. The comments on Facebook are astonishing to me. The things that people said make my head spin. And worst of all, there are several Christians who are among them calling for violence to be done on this man. Now make no mistake, I'm not saying we need to be helpless victims and allow this guy to hurt people. I'm not saying that, we, that, that he's not a criminal and that we shouldn't be careful. But what I am saying is how can we be the pillar of truth if we're not only hypocrites who break the law, and trash talk of other people, but we advocate violence to be done on people we don't approve of. Where is the message of hope for those who need to hear it most? As see, Paul said in this text, he's calling us to a higher standard, a higher standard that causes us to look completely different, but also to become completely different than the rest of the world. Paul is calling us to, what he's calling us to do is to change and to be sensitive to all of those outside of the church. And then Paul, he actually goes on and tells us why. He says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul is saying the reason why you need to be different from the rest of the world and obedient and be good to other people instead of talking trash about them and maligning them is simply the fact that you were just like them. You were a broken sinner, incapable of saving yourself from the penalty of your sin and from the power of your sin. You were just like them. But he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, because we don't have any, but according to his own mercy. Now, this, this right here, this is important because this is the heart of the matter. You and I, whether we want to admit it or not, are broken, rotten, corrupt sinners, incapable of escaping the bondage of our sin, we have no ability to do anything whatsoever for God. We have no righteous deeds to cover our sin. We can't make ourselves in a hundred lifetimes right before God. In fact, Paul says that we, have, we were actually enemies of God. 
and that we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. But for some reason, some inexplicable reason that I can't possibly put my head around and understand why, for some reason, because of God's own mercy, he sent his son, which Paul identifies here as the loving kindness of God, he sent his son to save us. I mean, think about this. Christ died to save someone like you. I mean, this is important because here we were, completely helpless, completely unworthy, completely and totally depraved, and God has mercy on the likes of us. And yet, we want to adjust the moral code a little bit. Okay? We want to adjust the standards you know, to where we like them. We want to draw the line of where we think that we should be able to care about people and not care about people and dismiss them is unworthy. What Paul is saying is we need to shine as a beacon of hope by being obedient and being good to other people because we were completely broken and unlovable and God had mercy on us. He loved us and he saved us. And the very least we can do is to be good to the people that God loves and to be the pillar of truth that draws those people to God and gives them hope. God saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, God didn't just feel sorry for us. Okay, God didn't just, you know, say a little prayer for us. He, you know, he in his mercy didn't simply just soften our pain a little bit. He didn't make our life here a little better. God didn't patronize us. He didn't, you know, take away the little hardships that we have. He didn't stand us up on our feet and say, okay, now you go. Okay, go try a little harder. God saved us by his own effort through the Holy Spirit and he has justified us, declared us righteous by his grace and made us heirs. He made us heirs, which means we're made into his family. He made us a part of our family and gave us an inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life. You see, when you and I were down and out, God reached down in his mercy and his grace and he set us on our feet, okay, and he generously lavished on us all the riches of heaven. The inheritance of children, as children, eternal life with him. God not only restored this current life, he gave us eternal life. We could, who could do nothing for God has done everything for us. And Paul says, because of that, we need to be this shining example of love and grace and mercy for the rest of the world. We need to be obedient and we need to be good to all other people so that they can see this image of Christ and that they can see it in us and in the church, which is in stark contrast to the rest of the world. We need to be that so that they too can turn from their sin and place their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ like we did and be saved. And I mean fully saved. Saved from the penalty of their sin, which is justification. Saved from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And saved from the presence of sin, which is our eventual glorification in heaven. 
The church is to be the pillar of truth, which is the hope of our community. Because only the word of God being proclaimed by the church, it's you and me, can those in our community ever hear and receive the life-giving doctrine that can actually rescue them from the bondage of their sin. Now, Paul wraps up this section of text in verse 8 by writing, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. There it is. Paul tells us. He tells Titus, he says, Insist on these things. The submission and obedience to the law, the refraining from speaking evil of other people, the quarreling, and then also to insist on being good to people and and showing perfect courtesy. He says, insist on these things in order that those who believe can call them, who believe and call themselves Christians, Christ followers, that they may do what God's calling all believers to do, which is to devote themselves, devote themselves to good works. Now, we have to really understand what he's saying here. He's not saying occasionally do a good work. Whenever you kind of like, your, your conscience is stirred. He says, devote ourselves to doing good works. Okay. That doing good works is something we need to throw ourselves into. That we need to be continually striving to do good works. In fact, the, the, in, in verse 1, Paul says, we need to be ready for every good work. As the church, the pillar of truth and the beacon of hope in the world, our lives need to be marked by not this occasional pursuit of good works, not the occasional good works here and there, but be devoted to good works. Because we were saved by God to do good works. In fact, Paul says in the letter to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse eight, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For, there's the big four. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. He's already got them ready for us. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should do them, that we should live them out. We were saved for a purpose. We were saved to be a pillar of the truth in the world around us. We are saved to do good works for the rest of the world to see. And so as Jesus says, so they may glorify your God who is in heaven. We are called to do our good works and be obedient and to be good to other people so that people will see in you and see in me and see in the church the very image of Jesus Christ and that they would be drawn by the hope that they see in that image of Christ and they would turn away from their sins and they would turn towards Jesus and be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power and enslavement of sin, saved from one day from the presence of sin as we spend eternity together in the presence of God. My friends, we need to tear down whatever barrier that gets in the way of others seeing this church as the hope that they need, the only hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, we do good works here. We already do good works here at First Baptist Church. We feed hungry people. We clothe the naked. We counsel and love on people. We give toys to kids during Christmas. We strive to meet people's physical needs. We mourn with those who are mourn. We preach the word of God in grace and truth. Okay? We are doing good works. But let me just be very, very real. We're not doing enough. Okay? We're not doing enough. 
law enforcement because of legal and financial constraints is failing us. Government programs are failing us because they create a culture of enslaved people to the governments. Our educational system is failing us because it's removed any semblance of a standard for objective truth and has become an indoctrination machine for the government and for postmodern culture. The church is the lone pillar of truth and it is really the only source of hope in our community. And we as a church are not doing enough to share that hope. This church, both as individuals and as a group, we need to do actively three things. Number one, we need to be committed to being and living out the example of obedience. Obedience to the word of God and obedience to the law of the land. We need to stop making excuses for ourselves. We need to start being obedient to the word of God and obedient to our governing authorities and taking that seriously. We need it to be the very best example of what a good citizen looks like here on earth and also in heaven. Number two, we need to just get over ourselves. Okay? We need to put on the lenses of scripture so that we can see all people around us as they are. God's created, beloved creatures that he died to save. We need to look at every human being through the eyes of God, which means we need to be good and decent to everyone. Remember, Jesus even said, love your enemies. And that love is not an emotional love. That is an active in your face. You've got to do it even if you don't want to kind of love. We need to be good and kind and patient and gentle and courteous to everyone, which means we need to stop talking trash. We need to stop running people down. We need to stop gossiping. We need to stop speaking negatively about people. We need to stop quarreling and arguing and publicly calling people out, both in the real and the virtual world. We need to stop talking I mean, taking people to task over every little thing. We need to stop with the Facebook rants. We need to stop with drawing lines and creating classes of people that we find acceptable and unacceptable. We need to get busy loving people with a reckless abandon in an effort to show them the hope of Jesus Christ. And number three, we need to get busy doing good works. We need to get busy picking up the slack for the rest of the world. We need to get busy creating open doors for other people to walk through into the church. We need to get busy healing wounds and meeting needs and creating new opportunities. And we need to get busy doing good works. We have people around us who can't hear the voice of Christ because they don't even have a safe place to go to yet. If people that are consumed by their addiction, they have no knowledge that they can actually turn here for help. There are people who can't break free. Okay, they're trying to break free, but they can't get the resources they need to start over. We don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough counselors. We don't have enough good listeners and handholders for people who need it. We don't have enough leaders who are willing to pick up a project and create a new avenue for people or simply maintain the avenues we already have. We have a 76-year-old building that's showing its age with very little help to actually do anything to fix it. There's still so much to do. We need to get busy doing good works. As Paul says, we need to be devoted to doing those good works. That's what we need to do. We need to commit to becoming obedient and purposefully looking at others through the eyes of God and scripture. And we need to get busy doing good works. And let me just promise you, if we will do those things, People will come. 
If we will follow through and we will do those things, become the pillar of truth that God is calling us to be, we will truly become a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, and completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm going to be the first one to line up and say, your word stings my heart. I'm going to be the first one to line up and say that the, that, that, that the words of Titus convict me and help me to see in the, the mirror of your perfect law how far off I am. And Lord, I realize that, that we're not going to like instantly, tenuously change overnight and suddenly be perfect. So we'll never be perfect, but we sure have a lot of room to grow. And I just pray that each and every one of us, Lord, you'd reveal in our hearts how we can grow incrementally, little by little, that we would take the steps. That we would just take the steps to just be good to people. It's just so easy to not like people. It's so easy to to disdain people who are different from us. It is so easy to look down on other people's sin and think that that's worse than my own sin. It is just easy. But Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break all of our hearts for what break yours. Help us to see the pain and the misery of those who are caught up in sin. And help us to be the loving kindness that you want us to be as the image of Christ here on the earth. Help us to reach out and care about and love these people. And as they take stuff from us, then Lord, let us forgive them quickly. And as they wrong us, Lord, that we would just bless them and pray for them. That we, wouldn't, that we would lay down our right to just exact revenge, that we would just continually show the loving kindness that you're calling us to because that's what changes the world. Lord, I love this community with all my heart. And I just pray that, Lord, that you would help us to all aspire to this ideal. We might not ever be perfect at it, but help us to grow in it. Help us to become more like Jesus in this and help us to be the pillar of truth that you're calling us to be Lord, help us to reach out and rescue the lost and be serious about going out into the world and storming the gates of hell and rescuing your lost sheep. Father, I pray this for all of us. And I pray, Father, you'd protect all of those who were not here, that you'd bless and protect all of our church family and all the visitors. And I pray, Father, that most importantly, in everything that we do and all that we say would be an act of worship to you and it would glorify you all week long. We love you, and we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.